ಓಂ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತೈ ಶ್ರೀ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ರಮಣಾಯ ನಮಸ್ಕಾರ ಟುಡೇ ಐ ಎಮ್ ಗೋಯಿಂಗ್ ಟು ಬಿಗಿನ್ ವಿತ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಥರ್ಡ್ ಬರ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಆನ್ಮ ಪಿತೈ just to put this in context i will just go back to what what this song is all about that is this is this song it's a kirtanam and kirtanams consist of a pallavi which is the refrain and anupallavi which is a post refrain and then a series of charanangal the the post refrain and each of the charanangal are connected with the pallavi the pallavi of this song pallavi and anupallavi of this song were composed by murugana and bhagavan wrote the charanangal to um to explain the, the, the uh, why the, the truth of what is said in the pallavi that is in the pallavi is aye atisolapum anma videy aye atisolapum that means are extremely easy are atma vidya are extremely easy anma vidyai the tamil term anma vidyai is is a tamil form of atma vidya in sanskrit atma vidya means uh, knowing oneself so the, the implication of this is um that the um, aye is an expression of wonder so ah what a wonder knowing oneself is extremely easy ah extremely easy and then the in the um anupalavi the, uh, the post refrain or sub refrain murugana explains this by saying one self exists as so re- very real even for those who are simple minded but an amalaka fruit in the palm ends as unreal what that means is usually the um the example of an amalaka fruit in the palm is is that is used to express how if something is very very clearly known if we've got a an amalaka fruit in our palm it's something that is clearly known by us so it uh, that is uh, an analogy that is used to, to um to, or or metaphor that is used to mean something that is very very clearly known but what murugana says here is ourself uh, that is we, we we each know ourselves so clearly but one thing we the one the one basic knowledge we all have is the knowledge i am so we all know ourselves so clearly even the most simple minded person is um is clearly able is clearly aware i am so this is something that is so clearly known therefore knowing oneself is extremely easy then bhagavan takes up this theme in the charanangal in the first uh, verse the first char- charanam he says um though one ex- so, though oneself exists incessantly and indubitably as real the body and world which are unreal uh, arise sprouting as real that is we ourselves of the one thing that is permanently and indubitably real but the body and world which are unreal arise or appear as if they were real um so how do they arise the imp- what he he implies that in the next sentence by beginning 
when unreal darkness pervaded thought, that is the darkness that pervades all thoughts is the darkness of self-ignorance. Thoughts arise only in the view of ego, and ego is the false awareness, I am this body. So ego, ego is the darkness of ignorance, and so the thoughts that rise from ego, Bhagavan describes as being um, as being uh, 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 um, unreal darkness, uh, unreal darkness pervaded thought. Uh, so he, the, the implication here, though there's no uh, explicit connection between the first sentence and the second sentence, the implication is that thought is what causes the world, the body and world, which are unreal, to arise as if they were real. And so he says in the second sentence, when unreal darkness pervading pervaded thought is dissolved without rising even and re reviving even an iota. In the reality pervaded heart space, oneself, the sun, will shine by oneself. Darkness will cease, suffering will end, happiness will surge forth. What that implies is, um, uh, though oneself exists incessantly and indubitably or imperishably as real, the body and world which are unreal arise sprouting as if real. When thought, which is pervaded by or full of unreal darkness, the darkness of self-ignorance, namely ego, which is the cause for the appearance of the body and world, is dissolved without reviving even an iota. In other words, when it's dissolved in such a manner that it does not ever revive even an iota, in the heart space, which alone is real, oneself, who is the sun, here the sun implies the sun of pure awareness, will certainly shine by oneself or shine spontaneously of one's own accord. Darkness, meaning the darkness of self-ignorance in the form of ego, will cease, suffering will end, happiness will surge forth. Therefore, extremely easy. Knowing oneself is extremely easy. Um, so, in this verse, he implies that all that is necessary to, to, to see ourselves as we actually are, and then thereby put an end to the unreal appearance of the, of the body and world, is for thought to cease. But how, 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 are, how are we to put an end to thought? How is thought to cease? It's, it, it seems very difficult. It, it, um, putting an end to all thought, but the, the means by which we can put an, an end to all thought is, in, is explained by Bhagavan in the next verse. In the second verse, what he says is, since the thought, this body composed of flesh, itself is I, alone is the one thread on which the various thoughts are strung. That is, as Bhagavan explained, all other thoughts appear only in the view of the first thought I. If the first thought I means ego. So it's only in the view of ourself as ego, but other thoughts appear. So other thoughts depend for their seeming existence upon the seeming existence of ourself as ego. And he often described ego as the thought I am this body, because as ego, we are always aware of ourself as I am this body. That is, 
what we actually are is the pure awareness I am. But ego is, is that same pure awareness I am, but mixed and conflated with adjuncts. So it appears to be an impure, an adjunct mixed awareness, an adjunct conflated awareness. So when he said what he describes here as the thought, this, the body composed of flesh itself is I, that is ego. It is ego is the first thought I, the thought that is aware of itself as I am this body. And all other thoughts, all other thoughts are jada. The difference between ego, which is the first thought, and all other thoughts, is all other thoughts are jada. Jada means they're devoid of awareness, whereas ego is chit jada granti. It is the, it is the not formed by the entanglement or conflation of chit, meaning chit meaning the pure awareness I am, with it's mixed and conflated with adjuncts which are all jada. So the body is is the jada adjunct. Um, so. Though ego is a thought, it's a thought unlike all other thoughts, because it's the only thought that is endowed with awareness. So what is aware of ego is only itself, and what is aware of all other thoughts is only ego. So ego is what is what is aware of both itself and all other thoughts. So he, he, uh, this is the reason why he says, since the thought, this body composed of flesh itself is I, alone is the one thread on which the various thoughts are strung. That means none of the other thoughts can exist without this first thought I. So if we go within thus, what is the place from which I spread out? In other words, if we go within uh, investigating ourselves, the source from which this of uh, uh, thought, I am this body has risen, all thoughts will cease. And in the cave of, uh, uh, and in the cave, meaning the cave of the heart, Atmanyana, pure self awareness, alone will shine spontaneously as I am I. This alone is silence, the one space, the abode of bliss. So these are the first two verses that I have explained in previous meetings. Now, from this, uh, in this uh, today, from today, I'm going to begin explaining verse three. So, what is the connection between verse three and the previous verses? I'll explain that. That is why I've um, I mentioned these. I discussed these other verses first. So, what he says in verse three is. Anne um, Aridal Indri, Pinne Edu Arihil in. That literally means without knowing oneself, if one knows whatever else, what? What here, in, implies so what? So without knowing oneself, if one knows whatever else, so what? The implication is that. that that is, if we do not, if we do not know what we ourselves actually are, whatever we know about anything else is not cannot be reliable knowledge. When we don't even know the truth of the knower, how can we know uh, the the truth of what whatever is known? So all knowledge of anything other than ourselves is un, is cannot be reliable so long as we do not even know what we ourselves actually are. Uh, so the implication of this is, 
when he says uh, N, what, so what, the implication is how can such knowledge, knowledge of anything other than ourselves, be reliable? So how can it have any real value? That is, if we don't even know what, if we don't know the knower, how can we know the truth of whatever is known? So all knowledge, without knowing the without knowing the knower, all knowledge is of no value or no. It's it. We can't we we can't rely upon any knowledge without knowing the truth of the knower. That's the first sentence, and the second sentence he says, "Tane arindidil pin ene uludu aria." If one knows one, if one has known oneself, then what exists to know? That is, if we know all other things without knowing ourselves, it's of no value. But if we know ourselves, then what else exists to know? The implication is, once we know ourselves, there's nothing other than ourselves for us to know. So all why? Because all other things appear only in the view of ourself as ego, and ego, by its very nature, does not know its does not know itself as it actually is. That is, as ego, we always know ourselves as I am this body. So what he talked about in the previous two verses, for example, when he said the body and world, which are unreal, arise sprouting as real, the body and world have no existence independent of our knowledge of them. So we we are aware of the semi-existence of the body and world only when we rise as ego, because the body and world are nothing but thoughts, nothing but mental impressions. Um, when Bhagavan talks about thought, he uses the term thought in a very broad sense. So any mental impression, any mental phenomenon is a thought. And as he explains in, for example, in verse in the fourth paragraph of Nana. The world is nothing but thoughts. If we if we exclude all thoughts, there's no such thing as world. Because the world the world doesn't, as he says, for example, in um in verse six of Uludunapadu, the world is the five is consists of the five kinds of sense impression, nothing else. Um so the five kinds of sense impression means sights, sounds, tastes, smells, and tactile sensations. If you remove all of these, there's no such thing as world. So the world is nothing but these five kinds of sense impressions. And who who knows those sense impressions? It's only ourselves as mind or ego. So ultimately, all perceptions are just mental impressions. So all the sights, the sounds, and the, the tastes and smells and tactile sensations that make up this world are nothing but mental impressions. Therefore, they are nothing but thoughts. Um, so knowing all those other thoughts without knowing the reality of oneself, it's of no use. When we know the reality of ourself, ego is thereby destroyed. And since ego is the one thread on which all other thoughts are strung, uh, when ego is destroyed, everything else is destroyed. So there's nothing else to know when we know ourselves. Um, and since since he said in this sense, if one has known oneself, what exists to know? Then he goes on to say, "Binna wia galil galil abinna bilaku enum at." Tanil Unara. When one knows that self, 
in one when one knows in oneself that self, uh, which is the light, the abhinna viliku, the light devoid of binnam, devoid of separation, in all in in all the seemingly separate jivas, weirs. Weir means um, life or or living uh, sentient beings or jivas. Um, when he says at tane, that self, he's referring that the self he's referring to in the previous. Um, that, that that obviously refers to ourself, but he refers to it as that self because in the previous sentence he said, "If one knows oneself, then what else is there to know?" And in this sentence he says, "When one knows that self, in one's that self, which is the light, uh, the, the light devoid of separation in all separate uh, beings, minum tannul anmaprakasame." Anma prakasa means the light of the light of oneself, uh, the shiny of oneself. Uh, uh, minnam means it flashes like lightning within oneself. In other words, um, when we know ourselves, that uh, the, the clarity of self awareness shines forth. And uh, he then goes on to say, "Arul vilasame, aha vinasame, imba bikasame." That means. Uh, a bit, um, the shining forth of great, Arul Vilasame, Ahavinasame, the annihilation of ego, Imba Bikasame, the blossoming of happiness. So the, the meaning of the whole verse is um, if we just take the, the bare meaning, without knowing oneself, if one knows whatever else, what? If one has known oneself, then what else exists to know? When one knows in oneself that self, which is the light without separation in separate sentient beings, within oneself, the shining of oneself alone will flash forth. The shining forth of grace, the annihilation of ego, the blossoming of happiness. Therefore, are extremely easy. Knowing oneself is extremely easy. If we slightly a slight paraphrase of this uh, to bring out the meaning more clearly, we can uh, we can paraphrase this as, as follows: Without knowing oneself, if one knows whatever else, so what? In other words, there's no use in knowing anything else if we don't know ourselves. That is, how can such knowledge be reliable, and therefore how can it have any real value? On the other hand, if one has known oneself. Then what else exists to know? Nothing else. If once we know ourselves, there's nothing other than ourselves for us to know. And then he goes on: when one knows in oneself that uh, that self, implying one's real nature, what we oneself as ourself as we actually are, which is the light that shines abhinna. Abhinna means without separation, division, difference, or distinction in separate sentient beings or souls within oneself, Atma Prakasa, the shiny or clarity or light of oneself, alone will flash forth like lightning. Um, this is Arul Vilasa, the shining forth or amorous play or beauty of grace. Um, Ahavinasa, the complete annihilation of ego, imba vikasa, the blossoming of happiness, 
therefore are extremely easy, knowing oneself extremely easy. Um, so that is the meaning of a verse. Now I'll begin to explain it in more depth. Um, we are not what we now seem to be. So how can we know that anything else is what it seems to be? If we do not know the color of the glasses we're wearing, or whether we are wearing clear or colored glasses, or even whether we are wearing any glasses at all, we will not be able to reliably judge the color of the objects we are seeing. If we are wearing red glasses, everything will appear to be varying shades of red. And if we're wearing green glasses, everything will appear to be varying shades of green. Even if we are not wearing any glasses, but are suffering from jaundice, whether with or without our knowledge, everything will appear to be varying shades of yellow. Likewise, if we do not know the reality of ourself, that is, if we do not know what we actually are, as opposed to what we now seem to be, we cannot know the reality of anything else we know, which means that we cannot know whether anything else that we may know is actually real or just an illusory appearance. This is why Bhagavan asked rhetorically in the first sentence of this verse, Tanne Aridalindri, Pinne Adil Arihil N. Uh, without knowing oneself, if one knows whatever else, so what? Thereby implying that whatever knowledge we may have of anything other than ourself is unreliable and of no real consequence if we do not even know what we ourselves actually are. If we do not know whether we are what we seem to be, how can we know whether anything else is as it seems to be? Now we seem to be a person, a bundle of five sheaves, namely a physical body, uh, anamaya kosha, life, the pranamaya kosha, mind, the manamaya kosha, intellect, the vijnanamaya kosha, and will, the anandamaya kosha. So this is what we seem to be. We seem to be this bundle of five sheaves called body or person. Um, but is this what we actually are? The person we seem to be appears in waking and dream, albeit with a different body in each state, but disappears in sleep. But we are clearly aware of our own existence, I am, in all these three states. The I that slept is the same I that is now in this state we take to be waking, and that is sometimes in another state that we call dream. But this I seems to be a person or a body only in two of these three states. In sleep, we are aware of nothing other than our own existence, whereas in waking and dream, we are aware not only of our own existence, I am, but also of an identity, I am this person or I am this body. Since we exist and are aware of our existence in sleep, without being aware of this identity or the person with whom we now identify, the person whom we now identify as ourselves, this person cannot be what we actually are. That is, if this person were what we actually are, we could never be aware of ourselves without being aware of this person. But since we are aware of our existence in sleep, which is a state in which we are not aware of this person, this identity, I am this person, is false, even though it now seems to us to be true. 
<clears throat> we exist and are aware of our existence in sleep. So we cannot be anything that we were not aware of then. Um, some people object to this, arguing that we are not aware of anything in sleep. So it is not correct to say that we are aware of our existence then. It is true that we are not aware of any phenomena in sleep, not even of the passing of time. But we were nevertheless aware of our own existence, because if we were not aware of our existence while we were asleep, we would not now be so clearly aware of having been in a state in which we were not aware of anything else. That is, if we were not aware of our existence in sleep, in other words, if we were not aware of being in that state in which we were not aware of anything else, we would not now be aware that we were ever in such a state. So we would now be aware of experiencing so what we would now be aware of experiencing would be a seemingly uninterrupted succession of alternating states of waking and dream without any gap between them. Therefore, since we are now clearly aware of having experienced frequent gaps between alternating states of waking and dream, gaps that we call, that we call sleep, in which we are not aware of anything other than ourselves, we must not only have existed in such gaps, but must also have been aware of existing then. In other words, if sleep were a state in which we were not aware of our existence, we would not now be aware of ever having existed in such a state. Therefore, we can logically conclude that we were certainly aware of our existence while we were asleep. And no one who considers this carefully and deeply enough can reasonably doubt that this is the case. Moreover, to the extent to which we practice being self-attentive in waking and dream, it will become clear to us, no matter how faintly at first, that our own existence, I am, is distinct from the appearance of all phenomena, including the person we seem to be not only the physical body of this person, but also all its other components, namely life, mind, intellect, and will. And to the extent uh, that it becomes clear to us that we are distinct from all phenomena, it will also become clear to us that we did exist and were aware of our existence in the absence of all phenomena in sleep. Therefore, since we existed and were aware of our existence in sleep, what we actually are cannot be anything other than what we cannot be anything that we were not aware of then. Uh, so, so since we were then aware of nothing other than our, mere, our own mere existence, what we actually are can only be this pure existence, bereft of, any, of everything else including the adjuncts, upadis, that we now mistake ourselves to be. That is, since we were not aware of anything other than our own existence in sleep, we cannot be anything, but we, we, we were aware of our existence in sleep, but not aware of anything else. So we cannot actually be anything other than the pure existence, but a, pure, pure existence, which is pure awareness, but alone remained in sleep. As this pure existence, which, which shone alone in sleep, we were aware I am, 
but were not aware of anything else whatsoever. So the nature of this pure existence is pure awareness. Awareness that is just aware without being aware of anything other than its own existence, I am. And hence what we actually are is just pure existence awareness, such it, which is what we are always aware of as our own being, I am, not only in sleep, but also in waking and dream. Before we can know anything else, we should first try to know what we ourselves actually are. And we cannot know what we, are, what we actually are by attending to anything other than ourselves. Therefore, though we now seem to be a particular person who consists of a physical body, life, mind, intellect, and will, neither this person nor any of its components can be what we actually are. Because in sleep, we were not aware of any of these things, but were aware only of our own simple existence, I am. Hence, since we are now aware of ourselves as, as if we were this person, it is clear that we are aware of ourselves as something other than what we actually are. So our present knowledge of ourselves is a false knowledge. Since we do not even know what we ourselves actually are, how can any of our knowledge about anything else be reliable? That is, whatever knowledge we may have about anything other than ourselves is obtained by us through the filter of our erroneous knowledge of ourselves. So when we do not know what we actually are, we cannot claim to have true or reliable knowledge about anything else whatsoever. That is, going back to the analogies I gave earlier on, if we don't know the color of the glasses we're wearing, whatever judgment we make about the, the objects we see, the color of the objects we see, is an unreliable judgment. Because we may say, oh, everything looks green. But it, it looks green. Why? Because we're wearing green glasses. If we're not aware of the fact that we're wearing green glasses, we will our judgment about the color of objects will be uh, will be an incorrect and unreliable judgment. So when we do not know what we ourselves actually are, anything we know, we are knowing through the filter of this false awareness of ourselves, this erroneous awareness of ourselves, as I am this body. So we are what we actually are is not what we seem to be. So what other things are actually are, how can, we, how can we assume that other things are as they appear to be? Since we are not what we actually are, other things are not what they, what they seem to be. Sorry, since we are not what we seem to be, what we actually are is not what we seem to be. What other things actually are is not what they seem to be. In other words, when our knowledge about ourselves is so confused and erroneous, our knowledge about everything else must be equally or even more confused and erroneous, as Bhagavan implies in the first sentence of this verse by asking rhetorically, Tanne aridal indri, pinne edu arihil en. Without knowing oneself, if one knows whatever else, what reliability, consequence, or value does such, such knowledge have? <clears throat> Therefore, before trying to know anything else, we should first try to know 
what we ourselves actually are. And we cannot know what we actually are by attending to anything other than ourselves. So we should stop directing our attention outwards, away from ourselves towards anything else, and should instead direct it, direct it inwards, back towards ourselves alone. No matter how many spiritual, philosophical, or scientific texts we may study, or how many times we may listen to the words of a Sadhguru or others, we cannot know what we actually are except by turning our attention back within to face ourselves alone. The words of our Sadhguru, Bhagavan Ramana, are useful precisely because they're constantly directing us, reminding us, and encouraging us to turn our attention back within to investigate what we actually are. And other texts are useful only if and to the extent that they do likewise. Um, as Bhagavan often emphasized, we cannot get the knowledge we are seeking, we cannot get knowledge of ourselves from books. The books are useful only if they point our attention back at ourselves, because it's only by looking within that we can know ourselves as we actually are. This is what Bhagavan emphasized in the 16th paragraph of Nana. We cannot uh, find, we, we cannot know ourselves in books. We can only, the books exist outside the five sheaths. We exist within the five sheaths. So we need to turn our attention within to investigate what we actually are. Um, uh, one of the many ways in which Bhagavan has impressed upon us the need for us to know ourselves as we actually are uh, before we can know anything else is by pointing out that whatever is perceived derives its nature from what perceives it. So the nature of the perceived will always be in certain fundamental respects the same as the nature of the perceiver. This is the metaphysical and epistemological principle that he teaches us in verse 4 of Uludunapadu. What he says in verse 4 of Uludunapadu is, Uruvam tanayin uluhu paramatran. If oneself is a form, the world and God will be likewise. Uruvam uh, tan andrel uvatrin uruvate kan urudal yaban evan. Um, uh, if oneself is not a form, who can see their forms? How? Um, um, can the seen be otherwise than the eye? Can adutan antamila kan? The eye is oneself, the infinite eye. What he means by this is, if, we, if oneself is a form, the world and God will be likewise. What does, he, what does he mean by saying if oneself is a form? He means if we rise as ego, because it's only when we rise as ego that we, uh, uh, that we grasp the form of a body as I. In other words, we identify ourselves as the form of a body. And only when we're aware of ourselves as if we were a body, are we consequently aware of other forms. So the world and God appear to be forms so long as we mistake ourselves to be a form. If, if oneself is not a form, who can see their forms and how to do so? That is, it's only through the 
through the filter of this um, of this ego or mind, but we know all other forms. Because as ego or mind, we identify ourselves as a form, so we see a multitude of forms. If we don't see ourselves as a form, we cannot see any other form, is the implication. And then the next sentence is very, very important sentence. Kannalal kakshi on do. If we take this sentence very literally, kannalal means literally without an eye, uh, is there anything seen? That, but that's only the superficial meaning. Bhagavan explained a much deeper meaning, that much de deeper implication. Um, uh, um, <clears throat> that is, can what is seen be otherwise or of a different nature than the eye? The eye here, he, he, Bhagavan used the word eye. I, the Tamil word is kan. That means the eye, like the uh, physical organ through which of sight. Um, he, but he's using the word eye as a metaphor here for uh, the awareness that knows or sees or perceives anything else. So, um, can, can what is seen be otherwise than? be of a different nature than the seer. That's what Bhagavan implies by saying, can the seen be otherwise than the eye? So if the seer is ego, ego always identifies itself as a form. So in the view of ego, only forms seem to exist. But if oneself is not a form, one we, you can't see forms. If we are not a form, that is all forms, every form is a limitation, because a form is a form, any form is something that has, is in some way distinguishable from something, from other things. So every, every form has a separate existence, it's got a, a binna existence, but to use the term that Bhagavan uses in this verse of Anma Vidya, he talks about the binna vilaku, that shines in the binna weagal. So all this separation arises because we identify ourselves as a form. Because we, when we identify ourselves as one form or one set of forms, namely this body composed of five sheaths, we see everything else as forms. But when we don't see ourselves as a form, we are then without any limit. So we see no, we don't see any other forms. Therefore, forms can be perceived only by an eye or awareness that, is a, that perceives itself as a form, namely ego or mind, which always perceives itself as the form of a body. Then in the last sentence, he says, kan adutan antamila kan. That means the eye is oneself, the infinite eye. What that implies is the real eye is oneself. Oneself here implies what our real nature, our, which is pure awareness. The real I is oneself, the infinite and hence formless I. That is, whatever is finite is a form. Whatever is infinite is formless, because every form is a limitation. So the infinite is always formless. Finite things are always forms of one kind or another. So, so long as we take ourselves as this finite form, of this uh, body, we see other forms. When we see ourselves as we actually are, 
which is the formless awareness, the, um, the infinite awareness, the, uh, the, what Bhagavan refers to here as Antamilakan, we, we, when we see ourselves as infinite and therefore formless, we will see everything else as infinite and formless. In other words, we'll see only ourselves and nothing else. Because there cannot be anything other than the infinite. If there was something other than the infinite, the infinite wouldn't be infinite because it would be thereby limited. So in the view of the infinite eye, there is nothing other than itself. So there are no, no forms, no limitations of any kind whatsoever. Um, so in this verse, he uses the term kan or I as a metaphor for awareness in the sense of what is aware. And that awareness is ourself. What we actually are is infinite awareness, as he implies in the last sentence of this verse, kan adutan antamila kan. The I is oneself, the infinite I. And being infinite means being formless, because every form is a limitation of one kind or another. And whatever is limited is a form in the sense that he uses the term uh, uruvum or uru in this and other verses of Uludunapdu and elsewhere. Therefore, in accordance with the principle that he implies in the previous sentence, uh, can what is seen be otherwise than the eye? As infinite and hence formless awareness, we are never aware of anything finite and hence of any forms, as he implies in the second and third sentences by asking rhetorically, Uruvum tan andrel, uvatrin uruvate, kan urudal yavan, evan. If oneself is not a form, who can see their forms? How to see their forms? Therefore, as he implies in the first sentence of this verse, uruvum tan ayin, uluhu paramatran, if oneself is a form, the world and God will be likewise. If we seem to be aware of, we, sorry, we seem to be aware of forms only when we rise as ego and consequently mistake ourselves to be a body, which is a form composed of five sheaves, as he says in the next verse, namely verse five of Ulubnabdu. Hence, all forms or phenomena seem to exist only because we have risen as ego, thereby projecting and attaching ourselves to a form of a body as if it were I. All forms are therefore just an illusory appearance, and they seem to exist only in the view of ourself as ego. When we do not rise as ego, they do not seem to exist. So when, what then shines is only what alone actually exists, namely ourself as infinite awareness. Therefore, since everything other than ourself seems to exist only when we rise as ego, and since we do not rise as ego when we know ourselves as we actually are, in the second sentence of this third verse of Anmabide, he asks rhetorically, Tane arindadil, uh, if one has known oneself, then what, what exists to know? Thereby implying that there's nothing else for us to know once we have known ourselves. Everything other than ourselves, in other words, every object or ph phenomenon, 
is a form of one kind or another. And as he points out in verses four and five of Uludunaptu, we're aware of forms, objects or phenomena, only when we mistake ourselves to be a body, which is a form consisting of five sheaths, namely a physical body, the life or physiological processes that animate it, and the mind, intellect, and will that operate within it, as if they were an inter as if they were integral parts of it. Therefore, the subject that is aware of all objects is what is aware of itself as I am this body, namely ourself as ego. And without this subject, no objects would seem to exist. As he implied in the first sentence of the previous verse, uh, namely verse two of Anma Vidde, uh, in which he said, since this thought, since since the thought, this the body composed of flesh itself is I alone is the one thread on which all the various thoughts are strung. Um, <clears throat> since the appearance or semi existence of objects depends on our present false awareness of ourself as I am this body. Their appearance is just a mental construct. So according to Bhagavan, all objects, forms or phenomena are just thoughts, meaning that they are all just mental impressions or mental phenomena. Since they seem to exist only in the view of ourself as ego, ego is the one thread on which their semi-existence is strung, like the thread that binds flowers together to form a garland or the string that links gems together to form a necklace. Um, uh, does anyone have any questions on anything I've, um, uh, on anything I've talked about so far? Are there any uh, questions in the... Uh, line? I have a question. I have a question. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, I want to ask that uh, right now, in this moment, what are we? Matlab, uh, are we the uh, ego or are we, are we the witness, Matlab, uh, uh, pure consciousness? We seem, to, we seem to be ego. So long as we are aware of the existence of other things and are aware of ourselves as I am this body, we who are aware of ourselves as I am this body and who are consequently aware of other things are ego. But this is not what we actually are. Even when we seem to be ego, as we seem to be now, what we actually are is pure awareness. We seem to be ego only so long as we are looking outwards, away from ourselves. If instead of looking at other things, if we look at ourselves, in other words, if we turn our attention back within to see who am I, this ego, as Bhagavan says in verse 25 of Ulinapdu, if sought, it takes flight. That is, so long as we're looking outwards, we seem to be ego. If we look back within to see who am I, this ego, there's no such thing as ego to be found, because what we actually are is pure awareness. It's just like if you don't, if, if you see a rope and mistake it to be a snake, it will continue to appear to be a snake so long as you don't look at it carefully enough. 
So it seems to be a snake only because you haven't looked at it carefully enough. If you look at it carefully enough, you'll see, oh, it's not a snake, it's just a rope. So even when it seems to be a snake, it is always just a rope. Likewise, even when we seem to be ego, what we actually are is pure awareness. In order to see ourselves as pure awareness, we need to turn our attention back to look at ourselves carefully enough. If we look at ourselves carefully enough, we will see that we are always pure awareness and have never risen as ego. But until then, we seem to be ego. Is that a clear answer to your question? Yes, yes. Uh, but I, I also have one other question that... Yes. Uh, uh, if uh, is it possible to see yourself as uh, witness or uh, pure consciousness while your uh, eyes are open? Um, because you have so much identifications, now. Okay. We yeah. firstly we need to be very careful about this term witness, because the term witness, as Bhagavan explained, it can be understood in two senses, and it is indeed it's used in two senses. If by witness you mean what is aware of the existence of other things, that witness is ego. So the witness in the literal sense of the term witness, the knower of other things, is only ego. However, in many uh, texts, the term witness is, is the, the, our real nature, or Brahman, the Abhmasurupa or Brahman, is referred to as the witness. In such context, Bhagavan explained, witness doesn't mean the knower. We, as Bhagavan said, in such context, Sakshi means sanity. That is, it's in the mere presence of ourself as we actually are, as Brahman, that all this appears, but not in the view of ourself. All this appears only in the view of ourself as ego. In the view of ourself as we actually are, None of these things seem to exist, but they, they seem to exist in the view of ego only because of the presence of ourself. So when the term witness is used, we need to clearly distinguish these two senses in which the term witness is used. If whenever Brahman or uh, our real nature, Masarupa, is referred to as witness, it does not mean the knower. It means simply that pure awareness in the presence of which everything appears. But in a, the view of our real, in the view of pure awareness, there is nothing other than ourself. So why is pure awareness, Suddha Chaitanya, why is it called pure? Because it's a, it is mere awareness. It's not awareness of anything, it is just awareness. So it's awareness in its pure, natural, real condition. That is not awareness of anything. What is aware of things, what is aware of the appearance of all this, is only ourself as ego. So ego, though ego is a form of awareness, it's not the real awareness, because it is, it is, it is that, it is illumined by the real awareness, by the pure awareness, but because it identifies itself as I am this body, it is not the pure awareness. It is what is called Chidabhasa. Chidabhasa is usually translated as a reflection of awareness, but actually it has a deeper meaning than that. A basa in this context means a, a likeness or a semblance. If you look in, if you look in a mirror, 
you see what seems to be your face, but you're not actually seeing your face in the mirror. You're only seeing a reflection of your face. It's a likeness of your face. It looks exactly like your face, but it is not your face. Uh, likewise, this ego is a likeness or a semblance of awareness. It is not real awareness. Why is ego not real awareness? Because real awareness is not aware of anything other than itself. It is not aware of any, it's what actually exists is only aware is only pure awareness. So pure awareness doesn't see anything that doesn't exist. This is what Bhagavan implies in that um in, in that verse four of Uludunapadu. The real eye, the infinite eye, in other words, the formless eye, doesn't see any forms. The forms appear only in the view of ego, because ego is that same pure awareness mixed and conflated with adjuncts. So as, as an adjunct conflated awareness, ego is not the real awareness. It is what is called chidabhasa. It's a likeness of awareness. Why is it not real awareness? Because in, in the view of ego, all these phenomena exist. But these phenomena do not exist at all. So we are seeing what doesn't exist as if it existed. That is not real awareness. Real awareness is seeing what is as it is. Seeing what is as it is. What is is only awareness, is only satchit. So satchit is not aware of anything other than itself. Um, so I, I said that to clarify the, the, the meaning of the word witness. So can you repeat your question again? Because there was more to your question than that. Um, I've forgotten what the question was. No, no, I, I have question that uh, uh, again. And the next question is my. I have next question that uh, what is the difference between the I am ness? No, can, can, can you ego? can you finish this second question of yours? Oh, because you 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 asked something. How did you word your second question? Uh, you say. What I did, forgot it, the question. <laughs> I forgot it. I, I think <laughs> you were asking: Is it possible for us to see ourselves as the witness? Uh, so yes. the, the answer to that is: It depends in what sense we're using the term witness. As ego, we're always the witness. We're, ego is the uh, knower. We all know ourselves yeah. as the knower of all this. So yes, yes. knowing ourselves as the witness in that sense. Is it's that is the nature of ego to know itself as the knower of everything else. So you are saying the, that uh, whenever there is an object, matlab, uh, there is an object, then there is uh, ego is operating, you know? Yes. There is some. Ob the objects exist only in the view of the subject. The subject is ego. The subject means the knower. So whatever is known exists only in the view of the knower. The knower is ego. Pure awareness is not. But no, it's not a knower. It is just pure being. Okay. It doesn't so they, know anything other than itself. The thing uh, the Raman Raman Maharshi and all says the I amness. What is the I amness? Is it the ego or is it the presence? Bhagavan doesn't actually talk about I amness. He talks about I am. I am. What does I am mean? I exist. So I am refers to our existence. What we have to distinguish, we need to distinguish our existence from our identity. So, I am 
is our existence, what we actually are. That is pure awareness. I am this or I am that. That is an identity. That is ego. So as ego, we're always aware of ourselves as I am this body. That, that is an identification. So in the sentence, I am this body, and there is not referring to our existence. It is a, it's serving to identify what we are. I am this body. If we remove this body, what remains is the pure I am. The pure I am is such it. Pure awareness, pure being. Thank you. But what we now experience ourselves as is not, we are always where I am. Even when we rise as ego, we're aware I am. But as ego, we're not, we're aware I am, but we're not just aware I am. We're aware I am this person, I am this body. And because we're aware of ourselves as I am this body, we're consequently aware of all other things. Whereas pure awareness, is aware of itself just as it is, and consequently not aware of anything else, because pure awareness is without limit, it's infinite. Antamila kan, as Bhagavan describes it. It has no, uh, antamila means ananta, it has no limit, it's infinite. Satyam jnanam anantam, in the Upanishads, Brahman is described as satyam jnanam anantam. Satyam means pure being. Jnanam uh, 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 means pure awareness. And what is pure being, pure awareness, which are one and the same thing, is anantam. It's without any limit. Limits are only for forms. But the satyam jnanam, that satchit, is not a form. It is the substance that appears as all forms. It is the vastu, or poral in Tamil. It, that is such it, 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 to use one of the classic analogies, such it is like the gold. All forms are like the ornaments. The ornaments, as Bhagavan says, are not real. Because today, you, you, may have, um, a certain, you may have a piece of gold, it may be a bangle today. Tomorrow you can take it to a goldsmith and ask him to make it into a necklace. So the forms change, so they're not real, but the gold remains the same. So relatively speaking, the gold is real. So always the substance is real and the forms are unreal. Of course, gold is not the ultimate substance. It's only, a, it's only relatively speaking, we call it the substance. The ultimate substance of all things, the vastu, uh, is the, the satya vastu, the sat vastu is only satchit. That is what is actually exists. That is what we actually are. So ego is what we seem to be. Such it is what we actually are. But in order to see ourselves as such it, we need to turn our attention back within. That is the most important thing. That is what Bhagavan's teachings are all about, is about practice, about actually um, all this, all Advaita philosophy is of no use whatsoever if we don't put it into practice. This is not a um, just a nice philosophy. This is a very Advaita. If we understand it correctly, if we understand it as Bhagavan has taught it, it is an extremely practical philosophy. So 
Advaita means not two, one without a second. So what is the Advaita Abhyasa? What is the correct practice of Advaita? It can only be attending to ourself. Attending to anything other than ourself, then you've got two things. So if you want to have, a, if you want to be in the state of one only without a second, ekameva dvaitiyam, which is the very definition of a dvaita, we have to attend only to ourselves. Attending to anything other than ourselves, you're introducing there this false duality of subject and object, a knower and something known. But in self-attentiveness, there's no such duality. There's only one. I myself am attending to I myself. So what Bhagavan, Bhagavan's, what Bhagavan has taught us is Advaita in its purest and most practical form, which is the very purpose of Advaita. Advaita without practice, I mean, without putting it into practice, it's, it's of no use to us. It's just some nice ideas. We can go on talking of talking all this philosophy for um till till for all eternity through yoga after yoga after yoga we can go on talking philosophy until we actually put it into practice so the whole aim of advaita is to make us see what alone actually exists what actually exists is ekameva advaitiam one only without a second and what is that one it is sateva the same the same verse in the Chandokya Pranisha that describes it as as ekam eva dvitiyam, one only without a second, it makes it clear what is that one? It is sateva, it's existence alone. And what is that existence? Tattvamasi, you are that. So if we understand the Advaita philosophy correctly, it is, why, do, why are the Mahavakyas there? Why is it said you are that? In order to turn our, now we're looking for Brahman or God outside ourselves. But then the Upanishads come and tell us, no, you are that. So stop looking outside, look within is the implication. But people fail to understand that implication. So they go on uh, um, raising more and more and more questions, which are ultimately useless. It's just diverting us away from the, what is most important, which is the practice. So Bhagavan's teachings are all focused on the practice, putting this into practice, because then only is it useful to us, because we, we cannot annihilate ego by any means other than Atmavichara. So if we want to, and only when ego is annihilated will we experience ourself as one only without a second. So long as we rise as ego, there seems to be all this multiplicity. But according to Advaita, all this multiplicity is a mere appearance. And in whose view does this appear? In Bhagavan asked, yes, it's all an appearance. To whom does this appearance appear? To whom, to whom does all this, in whose view does all this seem to exist? Only in the view of ourself as ego. And ego is a false awareness of ourself. So to get rid of ego, we need to know ourselves as we actually are. When we know ourselves as we actually are, then what else is there to know? As Bhagavan asks in this uh, third verse of uh, uh, of um, of Anmavide, knowing everything else without knowing ourselves is useless. If we know ourselves, then there's nothing else for us to know. So Bhagavan's teachings are so so practical. Um, I see there are two more hands raised. Um, uh, uh, 
sorry, I, my eyesight is not yeah, very good. There are, uh, Surbhi, uh, yes, sir, like there are two, two devotees, Surbhi Kaushik and uh, Paranika. I would request one, uh, both of them to, um, to ask the questions one by one. Uh, namaste, Michael. Namaste. Um, uh, what is the correct way to practice Bhagwan's teaching uh, in one's daily life? Like, if I want to practice his teachings, how do I start? Something as basic as that. Okay. And I don't understand by what is the meaning of turning within and what is self-attentiveness. So, what do I give attention to when I'm turning okay. within? Okay. Um in order to understand how to practice this in daily life, we first have to understand how to practice it. So, what does Bhagavan mean when he talks about turning within? He, that is, within and without, inside and outside, these are relative terms. So, in different contexts, um, you, 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 you are inside India, I am outside India. <laughs> That, that's so it's relative to something that we talk about inside and outside. We are all inside this world, but uh, you are inside India, I'm outside India. You're inside Delhi, other parts of India outside Delhi. So inside and outside are relative terms. In the context of Atmavichara, everything is outside, that everything other than ourself is external to ourself. So attending to anything other than ourself is bahya mukam. Attending to ourself alone is antamukam. So that is what Bhagavan means by turning within, turning our attention back towards ourself. But we also need to understand what is meant by ourself. Now we take ourself to be a person. A person is, is a body consisting of five sheaves. Uh, we, we take ourselves to be this, this body, and the life in this body and the mind and the intellect and the will, this bundle, this bundle forms the person we take ourselves to be. So we're aware of ourselves as this person. But this person is not what we actually are, because this person seems to exist only in waking a dream. We, we, exist, we exist and are aware of our existence throughout all the three states. So we are something other than this person we seem to be. So. Ego is the adjunct conflated awareness, I am this person, I am this body. In that adjunct conflated awareness, ego is also called chit jadagranti. Chit means the pure awareness, that is I am. Jada means what is not aware. This body, these five sheaths are all jada. So when these two, this chit and jada get conflated, the resulting mixture, <laughs> the chitjara granti, the not formed by when these become entangled, is called ego. So when we are investigating ourselves, we are not investigating the jada portion. In other words, we're not investigating the person we seem to be. We're investigating the chit portion. The chit portion is that fundamental awareness I am, which is our very existence. So, we are trying to turn our attention back to our own existence. We are all now aware of many things, but whatever else we are aware of, the one thing that we are always aware of is our own existence. We are always aware I am. When we say, I know this, I know that, I see this, I hear that, there always I is there. So, I is the subject, all other things are objects. 
the subject is ego. The Ivan is aware of all these objects is ego. But in that ego, the reality of ego is the pure awareness I am. So we are trying to focus our attention on the mere awareness I am. This is as far as words can go. Words can, as Bhagavan himself explained, words can only be pointers. So we need to understand what Bhagavan is pointing at when he asks us to attend to ourselves, to attend merely to our own being, our own fundamental awareness I am, we need to think carefully about it and try to understand what he says. Then we need to put it into practice. Because until we put it into practice, it will not be clear. The more we put it into practice, the clearer it becomes. It is a bit like, uh, that is an analogy I often use, is learning to ride a bicycle. Supposing you don't know how to ride a bicycle, you can read books about it, you can attend lectures about it, but you cannot learn to ride a bicycle except by actually getting on a bicycle and trying. When you get on a bicycle, what happens first time? Because you're not used to balancing on two wheels, you wobble and fall. So you, you have to go on trying. However many times you wobble and fall, you have to keep on trying. Slowly, slowly you get the hang of it. And after trying for a week or so, then it becomes second nature to you. There's nothing easier than riding a bicycle. It, uh, we, we wonder why we didn't know it before, but it, that initial practice is necessary. Likewise with this self-investigation. What it means to be self-attentive can be understood only by trying to be self-attentive. So we need to, first we need to, what is required is sravana, manana, nidityasana. Sravana means, literally means hearing. That means we need to pay close attention to what Bhagavan teaches us. So we need to closely attend to what he is saying. Manana means we need to think about it carefully and make sense of it. So when Bhagavan says, attend to yourself, what does he mean by that? We need to understand it. And then we need to put it into practice. That is the nidityasana. The more we put it into practice, the more meaningful Bhagavan's words will become. So when we first read Bhagavan's teachings, we understand a little. But the more we think about it, and most importantly, put it into practice, the clearer his words become, the clearer the implication of what he's saying becomes to us. That at first we understand the mere surface meaning of the words, but the underlying implication becomes clearer the deeper we go in the practice. So the only way to learn to practice Atmavichara is to practice Atmavichara. Like the only way to learn to ride a bicycle is to ride a bicycle. Um, of course we'll wobble and fall at first. Of course we're unsteady. But as we, as we try to be self-attentive more and more, it becomes clearer and clearer. That is why Bhagavan called this practice Atmavichara. Atmavichara means self-investigation. He also sometimes referred to it as meditation. Sometimes, for example, he, referred, he described it as Swarupa Dhyana or Atma Chintana. But generally, he, 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 that he often used this term Vichara. Vichara means investigation. Why did he use this term investigation? Because it, this isn't just a meditation like other meditation. It's not that we're just trying to fix our, 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 
um, attention on the Jnana Lakshya. We are trying to fix our attention on Jnana Lakshya, but Jnana Lakshya being ourself, Jnana Lakshya means the target of meditation. We are trying to fix our attention on ourselves, but we're trying to fix our attention on ourselves in order to see what we actually are. So the more we look within, the more we try to attend to ourselves, the clearer it becomes. So as with any investigation, when you start an investigation, where the investigation is going to lead you is not very clear at first. But the more you pursue that investigation, the clearer the way becomes. So the more we try to look within, the clearer it becomes what Bhagavan means by fixing our mind in ourself. Bhagavan's definition of Atmavichara, he, he explains it very, very clearly and unambiguously in, um, in the 16th paragraph of Nana. He says, Sadakalamum manate atmavil that means the name Atmavichara refers only to always keeping the mind on oneself. What does he mean by keeping the mind on oneself? When we talk about putting the mind on something, that means attending to it. Mm. Um, in, a, in, in, a, uh, in a classroom, in school, a teacher may tell students, put your mind on what, on what you're reading. That means you pay attention to it. So when Bhagavan tells us to put our mind on ourselves, he means we need to attend to ourselves. And ourself doesn't mean this body or mind or any of these things that we now mistake ourselves to be, but just that fundamental awareness, I am. That is what we actually are. That is what we need to attend to. Of course, it seems a little difficult at first because we are so used to attending to objects. And we obviously aren't, uh, I am is obviously not an object. But though I am is not an object, it's the one thing that we always clearly know. We all know I am. Supposing you're put in a completely dark room and you're or you're put in a sensory deprivation uh, chamber. You're, you, you, you don't have any, there's no sound, no sight, no, no, no it's completely dark, you can't hear any sound, you, you can't feel anything, you can't taste anything, you can't smell anything. So if someone asks you, it's something here, you won't be able to know, you, I don't know. But are you there? Yes, I am here. So in the midst of darkness, what is the one light that shines in the midst of even the densest of darkness? But that light is the light of pure awareness, I am. Even if we're aware of absolutely nothing else, we are always aware I am. So that is what we need to attend to. As, as Murugana says in the Anupalavi of this song, that this, this uh, our self, what we actually are, I, I am, shines so clearly, it's so clearly known even by the the dullest of, uh, even by the, 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 the most dull-minded people, everyone knows I am. Not only every, every human being, every sentient being, every jiva, they may, not know it, they, they may not know it in language, but they know their own existence. Even the smallest ant knows its own existence, mm -hmm. because that ant is looking for, a, maybe looking for a piece of sugar. It's aware, of, it's, it's aware of its desire for that sugar. It's aware of its own existence. So the very nature of awareness 
is self-awareness. So before we can be aware of anything else, we are always aware of ourselves, of our own existence, I am. So this is the one thing we know always, not only in waking and dream, even in sleep, when we're not aware of anything else, we are aware I am. So since we're always aware I am, we can attend to it. But because it's not an object, it's not a form, it's not anything concrete, it's something very subtle. So we, we need to, only by practice can we familiarize ourselves with what it is to attend to ourselves. It may seem a little difficult at first, but this is the greatest of all treasures. That is, once we, once we, when we begin to, it will come slowly, 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 but the more clearly we're able to understand what self-attentiveness is, the more we come to appreciate what a great treasure Bhagavan has brought for us. Bhagavan has brought this great treasure. He's given us this treasure. We need to avail ourselves of it by turning, our, trying more and more to turn our attention within. We, this, is the, this is the greatest bhagyam in, in, in possible in our life, to have Bhagavan come into our life and to receive his teachings from him. This is the greatest of all bhagyas. So we are supremely blessed to have come to Bhagavan and to become acquainted with his teachings. So we shouldn't let this, <laughs> this great opportunity pass by. Um, we, we must make full advantage of it. That is, Bhagavan's grace is always helping us. Bhagavan's grace is doing everything that can be done to help us. But we need to cooperate with grace. Because as Bhagavan said, grace is not something that come, that's up in heaven and was going to descend on us. Grace is ever shiny in our heart as our own being. So we need to avail ourselves of that grace. We need to yield ourselves to that grace by following the path that Bhagavan has taught us, by trying our best to turn within. It may seem a little difficult at first, but if we try, it will become clear to us what is self-attentiveness. Once you've understood what is self-attentiveness, then it will become clear to you that you're able... That, there's never a moment when you're not aware I am. So whatever else you may be doing, whether you're uh, doing the household work or taking the children to school or uh, doing cooking or um, driving to work or uh, working in your office, there's never a moment when you're not aware of your own existence as I am. So there's not a moment when we cannot attend to ourselves. So first we need to get a grasp on what is it this what is it means to be self-attentive once we've understood what it means to be self-attentive then this is this great treasure is with us permanently we can we can turn our attention back to ourselves whatever the body speech and mind may be doing whatever be the circumstances we can even now while talking or while listening we can be aware i am the one thing that is really clear to each and every one of us is our own existence so besides so this, is, this is a tremendously valuable gift Bhagavan has given us. Thank you, Michael. Uh, so besides being aware on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, should one yes. also be doing a sitting down practice with eyes open or eyes closed? That is, Bhagavan never recommended sitting down with eyes closed or anything. But 
um, I mean, he he said we, our aim should be to be holding on to this Swarupa Smarana, he calls it in one place, the self-remembrance. We must be holding on to this Nirantara Swarupa Smarana, uninterrupted, un unbroken Swarupa Smarana. That's our aim. However, when we are engaged in other activities, it seems to us that our, a certain amount of attention we need to give to other things. So it may be, be beneficial at times to, um, when we are not engaged in any other activity, to sit quietly, whether with our eyes open or closed, it doesn't matter, whether we're sitting or lying in the bed, or the, the physical posture doesn't matter. But when we are free of other activities, those are all, the moments when we're free of other activities are moments when it's, it's a, a good opportunities for us to go a bit deeper within. And so if you find it useful doing 10 minutes, 20 minutes, morning and evening, that's fine. But it shouldn't stop with that. And even, even that after some time we'll find to be not so useful. Because just because we sit with eyes closed doesn't mean our mind is willing to go within. The key to success in this path is the love. As Bhagavan said, bhakti is the mother of jnana. So that love means the love to turn within and hold on to Bhagavan's feet that are ever shiny in our heart as I. In other words, the love to give ourselves wholly to him. We can give ourselves wholly to him only by turning within and holding on to him in our heart. So the love is the primary uh, uh, factor. So supposing our mind is full of worries and, and concerns, we can sit with eyes closed, but it's not going to make all those worries go away. What will make the worries go away is only when we have the love to turn within. And that love is cultivated by patient and persistent practice. Of course, we often fail. Often our attention is coming outwards and we're getting distracted by other things. But however many times our attention is diverted away from ourselves, we need to try to bring it back to ourselves. It's easier to hold Bhagwan's feet in the heart and uh, be attentive towards uh, that. His image. feet in our heart means not the physical form of his feet. His feet is what is is that awareness I am. Yes, I understand that, but it's easier yes. to hold the image than to uh, be. It, uh, it seems easier to hold the image because our mind is constantly going outwards constantly right. dwelling on external images. The whole world is nothing but images. All thoughts, feelings, emotions, all are images. But we are trying to go beyond images. To Bhagavan Swarupa is not an image. Bhagavan Swarupa is Atma Swarupa. Bhagavan Swarupa is I am. That is beyond all images. Thank you. Bhagavan was not opposed to the worship of name and form, but we shouldn't stop with the name worship of name and form. For example, if we look at a picture of Bhagavan, if we look in Bhagavan's eyes, where are Bhagavan's, what are Bhagavan's eyes pointing at? They're pointing our attention back at ourselves. So if we really meditate on the form of Bhagavan, his form will automatically turn our attention back within. We shouldn't then try to hold on to the external form. We should allow his, him to draw our attention within. 
as Bhagavan said, grace is always working. From within, it's always pulling us within. From outside, it's we're, our, our external life is giving us so many blows. Um, we all know that this life in this samsara is full of difficulties. So that is Bhagavan pushing us within from outside, but from within, he's always drawing us. So we must be willing to yield ourselves to that inward pull of grace. Very beautifully explained, Matthew. Thank you so much. Because even the image we have, the mental image we have of Bhagavan's feet is still external to ourselves. But what is internal is only that light of pure awareness I am. That is that is the true form of Bhagavan. That is the Ramana Swarupa. Ramana Swarupa is Atma Swarupa. Ramana Darshanam is Atma Darshanam. Swarupa Darshanam. And how does one confirm that one is paying attention to the self only and it's not an illusion that one is uh, focusing on. Just keep on trying. Don't worry about that. So long as you're trying to attend to yourself, Bhagavan is there in your heart guiding you. So trust in his guidance. Okay. So long as you're attending to any form, however subtle it may be, that's something other than yourself. Try to attend to, not to anything that is known, try to attend to the knower. It is subtle. The words can't adequately express it, but it, so long as we are sincere in trying, Bhagavan's, I mean, Bhagavan, even when we're not trying, he's helping us. So how much more he will be helping us when we are trying? So let's just trust in his guidance. His, sil his silent teaching is always going on in our heart. But, Bhagavan said the real teaching, the teaching in words is necessary to turn our attention within. But when we turn our attention within, we're attending to his real teaching, which is that the silence of pure being that is ever shining in our heart as I am. Uh, but Bhagavan has also talked about the heart, which is two centimeters away uh, from the midline. Right? Bhagavan made it very, very clear but the heart, the heart means ourself as we actually are. He talked about that point two digits to the center of the chest only for those who, whose minds are still so attached to thinking in terms of the body. Relative to this body, where we are, Bhagavan said, um, if, you ask a, uh, if you ask a group of school children, who can do this sum? Uh, one little boy or girl is not going to point at their head and say, I can do it. Well, they say, I can do it. I can do it, sir. Mm -hmm. I can do it, miss. Or mm -hmm. if you ask, who, who will run and fetch the newspaper? They don't point at their feet and say, I will run and fetch the newspaper. I will run and fetch it. So we all naturally point there. And we can see if supposing you're walking down the street and suddenly a, a car horn behind you suddenly honks for horn, you get a bit of a shock. If you pay attention, you'll feel it there. So that is a, but all that is relative only to this body. We are not this body. We, Bhagavan says in 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 Ekama Panchakam, uh, those those who think that self is within the body, are like those who think that the screen is within the picture. The picture, the cinema picture, is appearing on a screen. But if you think the screen is within the picture, 
that is just like thinking all of this, the whole universe appears within our soul. But if we think we are limited within this body, it is so foolish, is it? So it was only for those with outward going mind um, who, 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 uh, who couldn't understand the deep, subtle teachings of Bhagavan, um, who kept on asking, where is the place of heart in the body? Bhagavan said, it's two digits right to the center of the chest. But he also said, that is not the real heart. The real heart is only I am. Bhagwan is also talking about the current, that the current becomes continuous and spontaneous. That is the current of self-awareness. Uh, that current is always there. We need to hold on to that current. Current means that continuity. The one thing that is ever continuous is this awareness I am. That is what we need to hold on to. Okay.